0: what would what word would you use if you had to use one word to describe this movie
1: hmm what word
0: one word would
1: I use Bart I don't know Bart
0: <laughs> I mean that that kind of works I mean I think I would use gloomy but I think that's pretty uh smell that's scraping t- that's that that that's the top of the top of the pile I think gloomy the movie is obviously gloomy
1: you can tell they have a smelly relationship
0: yeah smelly Yeah, let's go with smelly.
1: Okay, well, welcome to Drunk Duck Cinema Club. I'm your host, Michael Puglisi.
0: And I'm your host, Allie Darling. Uh, This week's movie is The Lighthouse, uh, which in director and writer Robert Eggers' words, nothing good can happen when two men are trapped alone in a giant phallus.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's one (laughs) thing I found out researching this movie. Everything's a dick.
0: Everything is a dick. Everything that is not some I I honestly found the kind of like phallic and like sexualized like scenes and instances in the movie to be like too much. I was like, this is taking away from the story. But in reality, that is a huge part of the director's vision for the movie. So I just missed a lot.
1: Yeah, I'm there. not gonna lie. I did not get that on the first viewing, but that's okay. It's a movie that is worth repeat viewings. In my mind, at the at first glance, just looking at the movie it looks beautiful the black and white shots and the the weird kind of square aspect yeah ratio. so i i
0: i looked this up apparently it has a obviously it has a very specific method of filming that they were used uh that they used for it to look more in line with the time period they were shooting in which was the 1890s but the aspect ratio is not in fact a one-to-one it is a one to 1.9 specifically,
1: right. so it's 1.19 it's it's quite square
0: no it's almost square
1: at first it was <laughs> so jarring i was worried it was gonna kind of impact my enjoyment of the movie but it really didn't you kind of just get sucked into the movie so much that you don't even notice that weird kind of square picture and you get captivated by the performances and the scenery
0: yeah, and the scenery itself is very, very beautiful, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but it was all filmed largely on location right here in Nova Scotia.
1: Nova Scotia, that's right, right here in Nova Scotia, we say.
0: Which is not where this we is... are, but we are in this country.
1: That's right. In that country. We can all lay The claim country the which fame contains job. Nova Scotia. Yes, that's right.
0: Yeah. Oh. Nova Scotia has not yet seceded from Canada. <laughs>
1: So we're talking about The Lighthouse, a 2019 black and white psychological horror movie directed by Robert Eggers. Eggers is perhaps best known for directing the 2015 horror movie The Witch. And he directed The Lighthouse, his second feature, um, with his brother Max co-writing the movie.
0: Yeah, so I had read that he was really struggling uh, to make this movie and to to write this this movie so he kind of enlisted the help of his brother and together they really kind of pulled it together away almost from what um robert was originally envisioning for the movie and and into sort of what it finally ended up as which is just a a dark and gloomy story yeah so that just gets darker and gloomier so
1: originally it was supposed to be an an adaptation of an unfinished edgar Allan poe story but like you said when max's adaptation stalled that's when Robert stepped in and helped kind of push his own vision into what the story could be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of tie-ins to this movie. There's there's, And we'll get into it, I'm sure, when we talk a little bit more about the plot. But, I mean, contextually, there's a lot to draw from. There's the Edgar Allan Poe um, kind of tributes. There's a tribute to an old Welsh poem in this movie. There's connections to Greek mythology there's you know all kinds of cyclical natures and and lots of different symbolism and stuff so the the movie on it on its own just has a lot of uh depth i guess it's just a lot of context that i think you're right is what really makes it something that you could watch again and again
1: so once the script was polished off um they started assembling a cast now willem dafoe had been in contact with Robert Eggers after seeing his movie The Witch and wanted to work with him. So Willem Dafoe ended up being cast as the seasoned lighthouse-keeping vet. Wiki. With a, a wiki. A wiki. Thomas Wake.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: Wake is this old, bearded, gravelly-voiced, cantankerous <laughs> former sailor who's fond of drink, perpetually smokes a woodpipe, and just keeps on I, having a go. He's
0: just a, yeah, he's just kind of a, a exact, everything that you would picture when somebody says, you know, a cantankerous old sailor, That's like, he knows a lot. And he's happy to tell you how you should be doing things, but he's never happy with how you do them. And, you know, he just seems immediately like an impossible person to get along with. Uh, despite the fact that he might, you know, be good at his job, he seems impossible.
1: And opposite Defoe, we have Robert Pattinson as Ephraim Winslow, a young mustachioed former logger who begins his new career as a wiki by signing a contract to work with Thomas Wake for four weeks on an isolated lighthouse outpost. And that is. The-
0: and in, in the movie, they take very good much. They take a lot of care to show you how isolated it is. They arrive at this island in what appears to be the middle of the sea um, with just about nothing to look at on any any side. So he's very isolated.
1: Yeah, so the film takes place off the coast of New England. However, for the production of the movie, Eggers chose to film on location in Nova Scotia, as we previously Cape mentioned. Tortue. And he said one so, of the big draws of the shooting location was just the fact that there was road access and they could drive up all their trucks and their <laughs> equipment there.
0: Yeah, I mean if there is road access they do a good job of hiding it because it's not like it looks it looks straight out of the 1890s and one of the reasons for that is because they actually had to build all of the sets that they used. They built the lighthouse, they built the shacks, they built like the little outhouses and everything. They built even they didn't build them You know, as traditional construction, they built them just out of wood for scenery, but they had to craft literally everything that you see as a set in the movie.
1: Yeah, so they actually built that 70-foot working lighthouse with a light that could be seen about 16 miles out to sea.
0: Yeah, they built like a historical relic, essentially.
1: So filming lasted 34 days, cost $4 million dollars. And the movie had its world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival, May 19th, 2019, and was released. So
0: I have sorry, I have to think that the movie cost so much to make because they kept breaking equipment while they were filming, because apparently a lot of the weather in the movie is realistic and was not added in as an after effect or utilized as like a stage prop. So apparently their equipment would break three or four times.
1: Oh, from all the, Um, from all the rain?
0: Yeah. From all the rain and the humidity and the moisture getting into the equipment, they had like frequent breakdowns of equipment. And apparently there's one, uh, one particular take, um, where Robert Pattinson's character walks out into the water that they had to shoot, uh, 25 times (laughs) (laughs) because their equipment kept failing. So it's, it's, it's quite remarkable that they were able to stick it out, especially considering that part of Nova Scotia where they were is, uh, Well below freezing.
1: By all accounts from the actors and the directors, it sounds like it was really just a horrendous shoot.
0: Yeah, a month-long horror.
1: So eventually the movie made its way to theaters. I think this must have been a limited release. Um, It was in theaters in October and then showed up on streaming services um, well, just a couple months ago now, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. So, well, I guess we can kind of get into uh, covering the plot now, then, I guess.
0: Yeah. So, I would say that you spend the first few minutes of the film kind of setting the scenery. So, there's no dialogue. Um, You're getting used to the square-ish framing. And... The entire first scene is just them arriving on a ferry boat. It's very somber. And they relieve the two men who are currently stationed at this lighthouse outpost. And I would say it's probably a good five, ten minutes before anything is said. Uh, and you just kind of are a, a, you know, a bird on the shoulder of, of Winslow, Robert Pattinson's character, kind of meandering around the facility, making himself home feel a little bit more at home
1: yeah the first real interaction we see between thomas wake and ephraim is wake handing down the duties to winslow basically right off the bat you kind Mm -hmm. of get this impression that you know wake is the guy in charge and he's gonna keep winslow under his thumb and that's kind of how the relationship starts off between the two wake takes the night shift and tends directly to the light of the lighthouse, while Winslow works the craft. Does literally jobs. everything else. Yeah, literally everything yeah. else. And meanwhile, Wake just constantly berates him, calls him lad, calls him dog.
0: Yeah, he definitely uh, immediately establishes sort of the the go-to, and, and Winslow pushes back a little bit on this, but not not too much. He seems to be genuinely... uh not necessarily afraid of wake but i think he's he is looking for his approval that he's doing this job properly um you find out that winslow is, has never actually been on a journey like this it's his first posting it, uh, whereas wake has apparently done it for years
1: it's interesting how at the beginning right now winslow is also seems kind of meek like you kind of get the mm-hmm. idea that like yeah there's like some rage simmering in him but you don't really necessarily believe that you know, anything may come. He has the it.
0: capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So so I mean, you definitely get the sense that Winslow sort of starts to resent Wake, but he doesn't really make any effort to change things and he seems happy enough to just kind of wait out the four weeks that they're there.
1: Yeah. Just try and get by. However, things start kind of getting a little strange. Winslow sees Wake going up to the light at night and stripping naked in front of it which is
0: yeah he starts seeing him do a couple of weird things and you start to sort of realize that winslow himself is a little bit maybe of an unreliable narrator because he starts having odd visions as well
1: so very quickly into the film the four weeks the men were supposed to spend on the island um passes by and the day before the men are to leave Winslow encounters this one-eyed seagull that has been just kind of harassing him. And finally, this seagull just straight up attacks him. And uh, Winslow snatches the seagull out of the air and bashes it on a rock.
0: Yeah, so he's been harassed by this seagull and he notices um, an issue with their water and goes to investigate it. And the seagull, I think, you know, startles him and scares him, and it has been harassing him. So I think a lot of his frustration that's coming to the surface with him having to do all of these terrible jobs, which the movie goes to no, goes to great length to show you how terrible the jobs are. They really take a couple scenes and take a, a couple minutes to show you how much he's struggling with all yeah, these tasks. He's shoveling that he has coal to do. into
1: the furnace. He's got to sweep, sweep uh, the quarters. He's re-shingle. pushing this
0: wheelbarrow up this like terribly winding gravel, dirt, wet road. And it's just, it's just miserable. Meanwhile, miserable. Wake
1: just spoons with the light.
0: Yeah, he sleeps all day and spoons with the light. So it's... Uh, and farts, yeah, wicked farts. Yeah, lots of farting in this. Apparently, all of it was added in after the fact. Apparently. The sound designer will not share his secrets. Yeah. Mm. Apparently, it's a problem. Either way, so... so you know winslow slams this gull and he seems to be remorseful afterwards and kind of recalls a conversation he had with wake where he tell wake told him that killing a gull is bad luck because gulls contain the souls of dead sailors so he seems a little bit kind of concerned once he kills the gull but he he pretty quickly gets over it and seems to just generally be excited to leave
1: That is until the wind changes and a storm hits the island and their relief ship does not show up. And to make matters worse, the rations that they have in the living quarters have been destroyed by the storm. Now, Wake gets Mm -hmm. Winslow to help him dig up a crate that's supposed to be filled with more rations, but is just filled with booze.
0: Yeah, just filled with more liquor. Yeah. And... Winslow, throughout the entire four weeks, has been refusing to drink, and he finally accepts a drink the night before they're supposed to leave, assuming they're going to leave the next day, and they don't, which is terrible news for Winslow, who now begins to drink a whole heck of a lot.
1: Yeah, and you kind of feel for Winslow at this point, he's stuck here with fucking the
0: psycho. this
1: old-ass, cantankerous Thomas Wake guy who is just smells the way he looks, I imagine. And Mm -hmm. like berates him, tells him what to do.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think that the uh, the alcohol helps them to get along as well. They still don't like each other, but they seem to start to develop a friendship out of necessity.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, that's kind of the point that like uh, Wake makes to Winslow. He's like, you got to drink because it keeps you calm. And it just keeps you agreeable.
0: So on a timeline that you're not really aware of, the two of them just start drinking very heavily. And it's at this point in the movie that you lose a concept of time and you stop knowing uh, how long they've been on the island. And there's even a few scenes where the two of them argue if, as to whether it's been weeks or whether it's been days. And you're not really sure who to trust. So they definitely lose all sense of their environment, and they're both drinking very heavily and the, at this time. And the
1: more they drink, too, they, they kind of do this thing where they, they get closer to each other, but also more confrontational at the same time.
0: Yeah, they're friendly, but the tension doesn't go away. Um, and this is maybe most eloquently displayed when Winslow one evening... Tells Wake that he's a terrible cook, <laughs> and Wake loses it. He gets first of all, he gets very upset.
1: Oh, he's so he's and, so sad. You know, he just wants him to compliment his lobster.
0: Yeah, he's just so he's so upset that Winslow doesn't like his cooking, and Winslow. I, and it's hard to tell if he's telling the truth or not. He sticks to his guns and he says, "No, your cooking is terrible. You know, I only eat it because I have to." And then. You know, Thomas Wake goes on this huge Shakespearean (laughs) soliloquy, cursing him, cursing Winslow to, what does he tell him? He says, and here's a direct quote, to be lapped up and swallowed by the infinite waters of the dread emperor himself, forgotten to any man to any time, forgotten to any god or devil, forgotten even to the sea. So he like epically curses Winslow and Winslow like any other extremely drunk young man is straight up horrified hearing this. Yeah, and he just says, sure, (laughs) have it
1: your way. Your cooking's great.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he kind of just meekly is like, I like your cooking. Like, Like,
1: like fuck, how do I get out of this?
0: and, And this is very common. It really seems like Thomas Wake takes things too far. Even in the small instances where Winslow pushes him, you know, you should let me work on the light. you should not make me do all this crappy work. Wake always responds with this over-the top explosion. and it really seems to be meant to keep Winslow in his place. It's kind of
1: interesting how at this point, Wake is totally has Winslow under his thumb and never really has a vulnerable moment. The only moment of mm-hmm. vulnerability he shows is when his cooking, You know, is insulted, insulted, which he quickly, you know, turns that around into the most epic fucking tirade ever.
0: Now, apparently, that entire uh, little speech there is was shot in one in one solid take. And the director um, Eggers is apparently said to have said that Willem Dafoe did not blink for a straight two minutes doing this. uh, crazy curse it's, which makes me feel like it's probably a real curse
1: i mean probably robert
0: pattinson is probably cursed
1: we now. should keep an eye on him he should stay away from boats yeah, yeah like yeah. it's an it's an amazing little like uh monologue it's like r- like right off the and bat that, when you see willem defoe as thomas wake and you hear him and like the the mm-hmm. acting he's doing with his voice and like his body language it's like he really disappears into the role but then this is the moment where you're just like, man, he is fucking killing it.
0: Very committed. And I think it's worth mentioning at this point, even just that the language in the film is very thoughtful. They're both supposed to have a very particular dialect and they're both, uh, were extensively sort of supervised by the director in the like in how they were, uh, kind of, performing their lines and the director would you know pause them and say no you should be seeing this faster and you wouldn't use this type of word you shouldn't pause here like and the director and the rest of you know the supporting staff spent a lot of time studying these dialects to make sure that they would really line up properly with the time period and with where these characters are supposed to be from. so is this
1: maybe you know is this supposed to be like a new england dialect or uh like, something that's particular, like, is Wake's dialect particular to sailors of the time?
0: So, Robert Pattinson's accent is based on a very specific area of Maine. It's a farming dialect. So, Willem Dafoe's is supposed to be Atlantic fisherman jargon.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So, there's, there's two specific, like, accents they're supposed to be delivering, um, and the director, as well as, I'm sure, supporting staff, went to interview and read a lot of books um, and plays and all kinds of things from this time period to try to get those those dialects right.
1: Interesting. I always thought Winslow mm-hmm. sounded like uh, Bill the Butcher from Gangs in New York. So, yeah, things are going downhill at this point. Um, yeah, and so
0: unidentifiable amount of time. after
1: <laughs> Again, yes, after
0: a- time is completely off the table. Yeah.
1: Winslow eventually reveals a secret to Thomas Wake. So he, spills his, he beans. spills his beans. He tells of back when he was a timberman up in Canada, and he speaks of an accident involving his foreman or his, you know, his superior um, that led to his foreman's death. His foreman's name was Ephraim Winslow.
0: Yeah. So so at this point Winslow reveals that his name is actually Thomas Howard and that he inherited or perhaps stole his old superior's identity after he perished so that he wouldn't be linked to this crime. Winslow seems to maintain and try to almost even convince Wake that he was not responsible for his super- supervisor's death. He says, you know, he fell between the logs. And I just didn't help him. Which, I mean, even still kind of... Even
1: Thomas Howard still, doesn't believe it.
0: Yeah. Still kind of like, mm, you could tell he's carrying a lot of guilt over what happened, and, and even if he tries to tell himself he doesn't hold any responsibility, he's carrying responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're immediately led, uh, led to believe that, that that's obviously who he was seeing and in the logs when he had his, his first sort of hallucin- hallucination dream kind of fit at the beginning of the movie. It's
1: kind of interesting, too, how right off the bat, Wake has Winslow slash Howard kind of, he has him clocked, he knows. He's like, yeah, you're running from something. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I don't want to know it. Like, he knows something's up.
0: Yeah, and when Winslow tells him his where he came from in his story, Thomas Wake immediately says like oh just one of those boring stories right like he doesn't believe him he's like you know there's obviously more to your story than that which you know I'm sure he uh maybe had an idea I don't I don't know if he thought he did something quite like this
1: Mm -hmm. so once Winslow has revealed his or Howard sorry we'll call him Thomas Howard from now on once Howard's revealed mm-hmm. his secret, um, he tries to leave on a rowboat in the morning, but Wake...
0: Yeah, he see- he seems to realize at that moment that Wake and he are not friends. Like, he suddenly seems to be afraid of Wake, based on the way that Wake, Wake responds to this. And it, it might even just be him running from his own kind of... The fact that he pre- revealed this, he's running away from that, maybe? Um, but Wake also kind of seems to threaten him and says, you know, you shouldn't have told me that, you know, now I'll have to tell other people. And Howard seems like he's like, I got to get away from here now. So he tries to leave the island. Mind you, the storm that started, however, who knows how long ago, is still waging and never stops waging from the moment it starts. So he's trying to bring this dinghy out into what is essentially a storm in the middle of the sea. Yeah, it
1: does not look like he's going to make it.
0: No. And Wake shows up, and at first when I was watching this, I almost assumed that Wake was there to help, or maybe tell him not to do it, because it was clearly suicide. But instead, Wake just smashes the boat with an axe. He says,
1: don't leave me!
0: Yeah. He, yeah, he screams at him, he smashes the boat, and when, or Howard is horrified and runs, and... Wake chases him, and then once he catches him in the house, he convinces Howard, formerly Winslow, that he was the one who smashed the boat.
1: Yeah, he starts gaslighting Howard hard at this point.
0: Yeah. He tells him, like, you know, no one's going to believe you. You just smashed that boat with an axe. And between what is obviously, you know, grief and misery and loneliness and just an overall overwhelming guilt and i can only assume at this point hunger (laughs) and uh you know hangover wins a coward kind of accepts this and seems to lean on wake for his support
1: yep and they continue being drinking buddies they keep drinking until i think this is the point in the movie where they um start where they slow dance with each other drunkenly
0: yeah, there's some weird softness to their sort of drunken stupors. And it's kind of, like I said earlier, Like it seems like it's a friendship out of necessity. And they seem to just get closer and closer, and they almost develop a bit of a relationship, um, pro- probably out of their loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a very like sweet and soft scene where they slow dance together, and... Willem Defoe's character is singing a very <laughs> soft song while they dance, and then they almost kiss
1: and then immediately start fighting each other
0: and then Winslow and or how both Thomases start screaming at each other, saying, "What oh, just that's constantly. another scene
1: yeah that's I think that's right before the uh the lobster thing but it it's it's just these two guys trying to like deny the fact that they need like some kind of like softness and like relationship and they just try to like assert their dominance on each other instead it's it's so silly like i think it was uh, the actors and eggers were talking about it. it's like the movie's about like it's a toxic masculinity movie that's that's what it's about and you kind of really yeah you could just see you get that from the interactions
0: yeah and i i mean i don't and it's difficult because i think at this point it reads as a toxic masculinity movie but i think at that point it just reads as repression like they're both kind of these men that are not really allowed to feel those soft feelings and yet they're you know stranded for who knows how long with no one and you'll develop an attachment to anyone Mm -hmm. if you're alone with them and uh yeah, anyhow, so they, they just they do the very kind of Freudian bump back and forth between like fighting and banging. Like that's that's what they do.
1: <laughs> well, all the Freudian uh what, what did you call it? Thump banging. All this <laughs> all this comes to a head when Howard finds uh, Wake's logbook and Wake discovers or sorry, Howard discovers that Wake has written a critical review of Howard's work and has recommended that he be terminated without pay. Howard is pissed.
0: And Wake cites the reasoning for Howard not being paid on things that Howard himself, you know, was against in the beginning. He says, you know, he's drunk while he's on his shift. And it's like, you've been drunk since we got here. (laughs) And it's this, like, intense hypocrisy. And Howard loses it. At the same
1: time, though, it's like Howard has proven to be unreliable. So we don't know if this is more of Wake's gaslighting or if Howard has legitimately been just a lazy ass. We don't know.
0: Yeah, you're led to believe that a lot of what Howard... I mean, Howard is, is generally your narrator. Um you're seeing it a little bit more from his perspective than wakes. And you don't really get a ton of screen time with, with just wake, but you still can't necessarily believe what you see Howard doing. Cause he's obviously also crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. So this leads to another fight, of course, between the two men, Howard begins hallucinating. He sees in the, the place of wake. He sees the siren once again, and then he sees Wake as some sort of sea creature. Um,
0: he sees, yeah. He so he sees him as a a siren. Then he sees him as some kind of monster. And then he sees him as Poseidon.
1: Oh, is that who, with the um, with the the light the light eyes?
0: Yeah, the tentacles and the barnacles attached to his chest, and sort of oh, a
1: that's a, who he's kind of a, <laughs> a
0: carving into his chest. Gotcha. Yeah, so he sees suddenly sees wake as the god of the sea so yeah there's there's some weird imagery going through howard's head and as he kind of just punches him he he nearly kills wake
1: yeah in this pummeling nearly kills wake but ultimately restrains himself at the last minute he puts he he starts treating wake like a literal dog so he puts him on a leash and takes him outside with the intent to bury him
0: So something about this particular scene uh, snaps something in uh, Howard and he suddenly becomes, uh, seems to bring all of his cruelty to the surface here. So he emerges from the shanty that they have been living in, dragging Wake by the neck and calling him a dog and telling him he's a good dog or a bad dog, uh, depending on what he does he drags him out to the hole in the ground that they dug up the alcohol from and dumps him in there and promptly starts to bury him alive.
1: Yeah, meanwhile, Wake launches into another uh, monologue and curse. I believe this is when he uh, he tells mm-hmm. them, he tells Howard that he'll meet a Promethean fate. I believe that's, that's uh, when yes. he makes his prophecy. So... Mm-hmm. After half buried, uh, after Awake is half buried um, and <laughs> appears to appears to have died. Howard goes mm-hmm. down into the grave and steals the keys for the top of the lighthouse because Howard has become obsessed with seeing the light. He wants to see the light because I, I don't know. Wake Wake's has been, been keeping
0: safeguarding it. it. He, yeah, Wake has been safeguarding it and talking about how, you know, the, the light is good to him and how he's the only one that tends the light. And he's been so guarded about it. And even to the point that he, he has his keys on him at all times, he t- goes up to the lighthouse, he unlocks it and he frantically locks it again behind him. He's really kept a, a firm lid on that. And I, I think at this point, you know, Howard feels that he's entitled. To see the light. So as Howard's
1: as Howard is about to go up to the light, uh, Wake shows up again with an axe.
0: Yeah, Co- for the last time. Yeah, comes up
1: behind Howard, just with an axe, hits him in the shoulder with, and it. says,
0: "The light is mine."
1: Yeah. So he gets
0: Ho- and Wake, or uh, Howard, um, to a true testament to his complete detachment from reality is completely unfazed by getting axed in the shoulder. Yep. He's um, fine with that. and pulls the axe out of his body and just clunks it right into Wake's head. Yep. Uh, um, in in just in just perfect form.
1: And then finally he begins <laughs> his ascent to the top of the lighthouse. He yep.
0: Yeah, so he creepily climbs up this spiral staircase, opens The little flappy door to the light and doesn't even get all the way up the ladder to get into this top level of the lighthouse. He just stares at the light.
1: Yeah, he stares at the light and kind of screams with joy and agony at it, seemingly losing his mind. It feels like a a real kind of hp lovecraft kind of moment like that's very typical of a lovecraft work where somebody sees something that is just so alien unimaginable that yeah it drives it breaks their mind and drives them insane so how Mm -hmm. howard cracks up he falls down the spiral staircase and then we fade to white and we see howard lying naked on the rocks being, with a one eye missing, being picked apart by seagulls.
0: Yeah, which is a very Greek tribute. Um, It's a true Promethean end, and the story of Prometheus being that he was kind of a a bit of a trickster god. He's the one who, you know, gave fire to the humans and gave it back to people. Like, stole the fire from the gods, gave it to people. Um, the gods then punished him, and Zeus, in particular, who is a famous asshole, <laughs> uh, sentenced him to have his entrails devoured daily by birds. Um,
1: Classic Zeus. And I
0: believe plucks out one of his eyes. So it's like direct comparison there um, for, for that, which is um, pretty grotesque. Honestly, yeah, it is, especially because it's seagulls, and it's not like seagulls even have sharp beaks. <laughs> like in the Greek story, he's getting eaten by eagles, and in the Greek story, I think they just eat his liver. Yeah, they eat his liver. But this guy's just getting decimated every day. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it's a pretty, pretty horrific end, and the movie ends on that note. And yeah,
0: there it is. Yep. So I mean, it's. If you were to describe it in a very short form, you could easily say that it's a story of two men who go to guard a lighthouse, never get picked up and go crazy.
1: Yep. I mean that's what happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very eloquently done and uh it, it leaves a lot a lot of questions as you're watching it, which I think is is pretty enjoyable.
1: Yeah, and like you said, it was fun reading into it. Some of the things like, I mean, the whole like Jungian and Freudian uh, psychoanalytic stuff, I kind of rolled my eyes at like, OK, fine, everything's a phallus. Yeah. But on the other hand, it was like, you know, you, you have to make production design choices. So if you're going to do that, it you know, it's nice that they did it with intent where it's like. Exactly. You know, there, there is at least a reason behind the choices, even if it is like a little eye rolly. But that that's okay. Yeah. Um. So I guess we can talk uh, about the critical reception and our reception a little bit, I guess. Um.
0: Yeah, so this movie is critically acclaimed, um, and I'm just going to quickly read out what it did win. It was nominated for like a bajillion awards, but it won at the Cannes Film Festival. It won a director's and... Directors and Critics Week Award uh, Prize. It's Willem Dafoe won for Best Supporting Actor for the Central Ohio Film Critics Association. He won again for Best Supporting Actor for the Columbus Film Critics Association. Uh, and again, at the Indip- Independent Spirit, uh, Spirit Awards, Willem Dafoe and Robert Eggers were both honored at the Indiana Film Journalist Association for Best Supporting Actor and Original Vision. William Defoe, Best Supporting Actor, they won for Best Cinematography, Best Editing, uh, Best Cinematography, Best Cinematography, Best Supporting Actor, blah, 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 blah. So they, they won all kinds of awards here. Um, I believe the movie as well was nominated for, uh, I believe it was nominated for an Oscar yeah, so for Best Cinematography, s- but did not win. No,
1: so they lost to, at first I was kind of surprised they lost. I, I really felt like they should have won this, but... So they lost to Roger Deakins for his work on 1917. And Roger Deakins is like this master of cinematography. So he is the guy who did Shawshank Redemption, all the Coen Brothers movies. He did Skyfall, which to me is by far the best looking James Bond movie. And he also did Blade Runner 2049, which I believe he won an Oscar for as well. An
0: Oscar for. Yeah. So I mean. So they were up against some pretty strict competition. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I thought this movie was wonderful and I guess similar to what I say for a, like a lot of movies I like I I just love that it was a joy to look at um, the black and white and the lighting it kind of reminded me of the 1930s Dracula and Frankenstein movies like it's got that old old horror movie look and I, I just really I really like that but it was still because it's a newer movie it was still like crisp and sharp.
0: Yeah, and I actually had read a little bit about the way they dealt with the lighting um, on the set because apparently the the black and white film that they were shooting on requires a lot more light to get exposure. So when they shot at night and when they were shooting inside, they had to use like 15 to 20 times more light on set than normal. And sets are always, like, enormously well-lit. Like, there's tons and tons of lighting, but apparently, uh, they had to put, in in some instances, uh, 500 to 800-watt halogen bulbs.
1: Holy in, fuck. They must have been hot. It,
0: it, that were on, yeah, that were only a few feet away from the actors' faces, resulting in the set being, like, blinding. Um, and apparently, that the actors could barely see each other. So when they
1: weren't freezing their asses off, in the middle of an island. They were sweating under, their nuts oh, off. Brutal. That's brutal. Yeah. But that, that's kind of cool because like you, you wouldn't think it based on looking at the movie. It's so dark. I think I, I, I told you when we were watching it, like I, I forgot those black bars were even on the side of the screen. Like they just kind of,
0: there's yeah, it just fits. Blend right like in. they would
1: have been black anyways in most yeah. of the shots. So it, it works. Um, I gotta say another, exactly. another highlight is Willem Dafoe. Like, I think he steals the show. Like, Don't get me wrong, Robert Pattinson does a great job too, but I, I don't know, I thought Defoe just killed it.
0: Yeah, and he was uh, apparently just, with his sort of theatrical background, apparently he just wanted to rehearse day in and day out. Um, I was reading um, from the director talking about how Defoe and Pattinson sort of had different approaches to their acting style and Defoe wanted to rehearse until, you know, the day was over. It was just hours and hours of rehearsing. And Robert Pattinson is a little bit more about the authenticity of the performance and would really hesitate to perform his scenes more than once. Because he felt that he would, you know, do all of his preparation internally and individually beforehand, and that the first take was the the true and, and authentic take <laughs> of him. So they had very different styles. I love that, how, um, when how it came their to how approaches are at
1: odds with each other. Very in-character. Complete...
0: Yeah, exactly. Apparently, they really didn't converse with each other very much while they were filming, but have uh, were said to have developed a friendship afterwards.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the entire so. shoot was not conducive to making friends. I think Robert Pattinson said uh, that it was the closest he ever come to punching a director in the face or something.
0: Yep, I also read a very funny uh, excerpt that uh, from the director that apparently Robert Pattinson has a lot of really weird uh, ways to psych himself up oh, really? in order to do his scenes. Um, one of which let me let me find a good little oh, man, little I can't excerpt wait. here. Yeah, so. Director Robert Eggers states sometimes he'd beat himself in the face so bad, or when it was raining through the cottage roof, Rob was drinking the rainwater in between takes. He also spun around in circles a lot. That was helpful for him. (laughs) What? Or he'd stick his fingers down his throat to make himself gag. Stuff like that. In particular, the scene where both characters are drunk and Defoe lies on Pattinson's chest... Pattinson was sticking his fingers down his throat before the take. Willem gave me a look as if to say, if Rob fucking pukes on me. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: wow. So, that
0: is crazy.
1: Yeah. What a weirdo. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess yeah. it worked because he did a good job too. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he does this really... And
0: I think, yeah, I mean, coming from like doing Twilight, you know, I feel like he really, he, he's he's he got to prove himself as, as an actor after having... Done so much, like, just... Teen just fluff? Awful. Yeah, just awful stuff. But, I mean, he made a ton of money, so what can I Yeah, so,
1: think? fuck it. He's set for life, and now he can take on whatever project he wants. And, like, I don't know. I, I think he really... He, if he had something to prove, I think he went ahead and did it with this one. So, let's, uh, let's get on to uh, our drink briefly, and then we can move on to the discussion and wrap this shit up. So... Mm-hmm. Um I, the drink pairing recommendation was of course a, a dark and stormy, just kind of seems seems broke uh uh seems appropriate. A procubret.
0: A to so a to so. <laughs> <A tot-a-so. laughs> yeah. Um there's really no other drink for this uh dark and stormy movie than a dark and stormy cocktail, despite the fact that I not like literally zero of the ingredients in a dark and stormy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, pr- but tell people, tell the people what's okay,
1: up. okay. So you got yourself two ounces of dark rum. You've got, mm, I'd say, like you know, about a quarter ounce of lime juice, and then you pour um, ginger beer to taste. I'll put all that in a high gla- highball glass over ice. Stir it up and drink away. So it's uh very similar to a Moscow Mule. The only difference is you're swapping the vodka for dark rum. Um, and yeah, it's it's a pretty good drink. I, I'm not going to lie. I do prefer Moscow Mules because the vodka is a little more transparent with a dark and stormy. You will almost definitely taste the rum. I used uh, mm. Kraken black rum, which is like pretty sweet. Um,
0: Apparently nothing special about it.
1: And that's right. Nothing special about it. Uh. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's not bad. It kind of it, it's a summery drink, I guess. Um mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I don't know,
1: not too much not, not, not too much to say about dark and stormy. Easy, easy to make.
0: And uh tasty if you're into that.
1: Yeah, if, if you like rum, it's a go is a great go-to.
0: And ginger beer, which is gross.
1: Ginger beer is delicious. Shut up. It's Shut, up your, garbage. Shut up your face! Shut up your face!
0: Um. All right. So theories. Here's a couple that um came to me while I was watching the movie, but also were like heavily discussed online. So the first theory is that both of the Thomases are the same man. Oh
1: yeah. Okay, ah, Okay.
0: So the theory behind this is the cyclical nature of their lives. So. You know, from the moment you meet both of them, their their stories begin with lies. So, you know, Defoe lies about being a sailor. And, you know, Winslow or Howard lies about, you know, not being a murderer. Um, they then both inhabit this warehouse. They uh, inhabit the lighthouse. They both have this sort of love-hate relationship with their companions. And at the end of the movie, probably the, the strongest tie-in to this is that Thomas falls down the lighthouse stairs and breaks his leg in a very similar manner to how Wake has injured his leg. And Wake is famously tight-lipped about how he broke his leg. Right, changes a story. And tells a few different stories about how this happened. So, to me, I feel like that means that he broke his leg the exact same way. And I think that you could lend a bit of uh, truth to this story in the sense that they they do seem to be very similar characters, just one is, you know, 20 years apart from the other.
1: Hmm. Okay, that's kind of interesting.
0: So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's an interesting little token. Um, the second theory is that, when, that... Well, first of all, I think this is just completely canon. I don't think this is a theory. I believe that the seagull is the spirit of thomas wakes old wiki so his old partner right um and i believe this because when winslow or thomas howard pulls he pulls at one point a lobster cage out of the sea and finds a human head in it and you're kind of led to believe this is one of his hallucinations maybe but the human head that he pulls out of the water has one eye kind of clouded over the same way as the seagull right and and it is in fact the same eye that thomas howard has clouded over at the end of the movie as well oh so it's kind of a yeah it's kind of this like cyclical nature of you know this uh thomas wake kind of killing his 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 partners um there's also a theory or maybe a, not so much a theory as it is a nod that Thomas Wake himself is actually supposed to be Proteus. Right. Which is um, one of the first old men of the sea yeah. who is supposed to have, you know, knowledge of the sea, but also be, you know, a prickly shithead. Yeah,
1: so Proteus serves Poseidon, the god of the sea, and he's an elderly <laughs> prophecy telling god.
0: Who was a dick? Who
1: was a dick? I love how they describe uh, Proteus, but also Poseidon specifically—one of the most bad or ill-tempered and moody gods. How appropriate!
0: Yeah, for the sea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I came across—I came across lots of online theories, but this particular one I found kind of interesting and maybe worthy of discussion. Um, somebody essentially said that when they rewatched the movie they indicated that there's a there's a pretty I would say it's a pretty like not very rememberable scene but it's a scene where Robert Pattinson's character is painting the lighthouse and he falls the ropes that are holding him break and he falls on the ground uh when he wakes up the seagull is, is pecking at his legs yeah one of his many rivalries with the seagull um the viewer said that when they rewatched it, they believe that at that moment, Robert Pattinson's character died and that the rest of the movie is himself in purgatory. Uh, And I thought that was kind of interesting because it is sort of then that the movie goes straight up backwards, you know, like that's really when all of the terrible things start to happen. That's when, that's before he kills the seagull. That's before the storm comes before the drinking and all kinds of stuff like that. So I thought it was an interesting idea. Okay. He really seems to be in a living hell after that. So. He
1: does. I mean, I, I kind of like the idea that um, Howard just, he shows up to work, you know, trying to run away from his past, and gets paired with the absolute <laughs> worst person possible, and the worst person job, given his mental condition, and he yeah. just loses it he crumbles under the pressure and under the weight of the guilt and under having to deal with uh wake meanwhile wake who i believe is just a guy who loves to you know torment his partners he loves to keep them under his thumb and to fuck with them just as a way of asserting dominance and then later on once howard really starts losing his mind i think wake is just trying to preserve himself He's just fucking with Howard to try and keep him, you know, I guess subdued. subdued until he can get the fuck off this island with this crazy person.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I I, don't I didn't really think of it that way. I always pictured Howard as the subordinate, but you're right. At, at some point, he becomes the aggressor mm-hmm. and it's it's made obvious that wake is the weaker party. Like,
1: I I think wake wake realizes that Howard is a danger to him, but he's not afraid of him. Yeah. That's kind of, he
0: thinks he can keep him under control. Yeah.
1: It's wakes. Like I, you know, I can handle this guy.
0: Yeah. And that's, there's, which is, you know, famous last words.
1: I think, well, actually, yeah, his famous last words are basically, um, uh, I think this is right before uh, Howard beats the shit out of Wake. He just says like, you know, uh, he's like, "Oh, you you come in here, you know, acting all quiet and mysterious, but you know, you're just like, I don't know." He calls him like a weakling. Like he totally had him like figured out from the start. And I thought that was just yeah, yeah. There's there's something really cool about that. But anyways, I guess that's what that's one of the best parts of this movie is that there's just so many ways to take it. So many ways to interpret it, and so many different levels to it,
0: mhm, yeah, it's got a lot uh going on, and I think it's a perfect movie to watch in the dark with even by yourself, like with no talking like it just it's very uh it's very atmospheric mm-hmm. um it's very enveloping, and it really kind of paints a picture and it tells a story and it's it's very captivating to look at, and you kind of need to be captivated by it to even understand what's happening so yeah
1: okay well i guess we can kind of get into our ratings and our wrap-up then Mm -hmm. okay so for blood drops for violence we're gonna give this three blood drops out of five because Mm -hmm. well it's not really it's one of those movies where it's not really too violent but there's a couple moments of violence punctuated throughout um, perhaps most mm-hmm. notably, um, when Winslow Howard uh, just beats the shit out of the gull, beats the shit out of Wake, and uh, when he gets his uh, guts eaten at the end. So that's pretty gross.
0: Yeah, there's some pretty like grotesque imagery, even if there isn't a lot of violence throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so for intensity. we're gonna give this one a four
1: it's pretty tense it is
0: it is very tense but it isn't one of those movies that's tense exclusively there are still a lot of little breaks um when they're having you know sing-alongs while they're wasted uh You know, there's elements of the mundane. I think that there's the mundane and the repetition in this movie uh, peels away at the intensity a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is a very, very tense movie. And I think that the majority of the plot rides on the tension.
1: And then stars for overall quality. We're going to give this one five out of five. This movie was wicked. We found plenty of things we liked about it um the performances the look the depth of the script and of the pr- production design choices and also just yeah
0: and it's just an interesting and captivating movie yeah and it's one that i would tell others to see and it's one that i would see again yeah this is one that i'd that recommend and that's the best endorsement
1: I, I would recommend this to just anybody i know who particularly likes film or is looking for a good horror movie or even just a good drama um or mm-hmm. just even a good story like it it's a cool story yeah
0: yeah and i think um i mean the the biggest critiques that there are to have of the movie is that it's slow but i think in a very similar manner and we we brought this up when we talked about get out and If you don't buy into the tension of the movie, or if you don't, if you're not aware of the tension, or if you don't feel the tension of the movie, you're going to miss an enormous amount of the movie, because, you know, so many, especially horrors, their plot hinges on your emotional reaction to the film. Uh, And I, I feel like this draws out an emotional reaction very well, but if you're if you don't have that, I do think that it can it could fall flat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's when the movie becomes just two guys in a room on an island. Doing nothing, yeah. going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Now. Okay, so well shit. That is the lighthouse. Um Yeah. I'm excited to see what we're gonna cover next, honestly.
0: Yeah, me too. I I really liked uh, the lighthouse, and I was hesitant to review it, considering it was such a big, critically acclaimed movie. But it's a weird it's, movie. Uh, it's stuff. It's still weird. It's It's, a, yeah. it's an odd
1: movie to be <laughs> so popular, and it makes me. It makes me optimistic that A twenty four is just gonna keep pumping out some weird stuff. Maybe I, I'm sure yeah. we'll end up doing more of their movies because there's just. There's just so many of them I I love or just interesting. Like I mean, Swiss. I watched Swiss Army Man recently. That was a fucking laugh.
0: Oh god, Swiss Army Man. Yeah, I watched that on a rainy day on vacation, and I just remember myself and uh, and my boyfriend just like, what (laughs) the fuck am I looking at?
1: I watched it with my girlfriend, and she she was not having any of it. I thought I thought it was great. <laughs> Anyways, may, maybe we'll have to do Swiss Army man for another podcast. Oh my Holy god. Holy shit. It's
0: nowhere uh, anyway. All right. Well, everybody watch uh watch Little Lighthouse and then watch Swiss Army man for a p- palate cleanser. Please
1: do. Okay. Well, you can catch us on the internet webs at the dot Com. <laughs> we got to Yeah, we
0: we we, <laughs> we got to get something that's easier for you to say. Fuck. Uh so our website drunkduckcinemaclub.com uh instagram at club and uh spotify Club. i believe also soundcloud but i don't update that so No
1: oh, ah. fuck soundcloud there's just soundcloud is the way of the
0: past the way the way of the past yeah anyways thank you for listening and uh tune in uh next time